following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Here we are, the book of Acts. We've jumped around the past couple weeks. We've looked at different stories of things that are happening. And so, of course, today... We jump in with another dream. It seems to be a theme in the book of Acts. Someone hears from God in some form of dream. And it was interesting, this morning I woke up, I was getting ready, and Chelsea starts waking up, and I go, hey Chelsea, how'd you sleep? And she goes, well, not great. I was like, oh no, what happened? She goes, I had a bad dream. I was like, oh no, what was the bad dream? And I was ready, and she goes, Matt died. (laughs) And I said, wow. That is a bad dream. And then she goes, but like the rock was at his funeral, so I don't know like what to do. So uh, it was great though. I told Matt this morning about that and he just goes, still here. (laughs) But we have like, we have dreams sometimes that we just can't make sense of. But it's so interesting that In so many places in Scripture, we see dreams being connected to the mission of God. Throughout the book of Acts, we see people dreaming dreams. In fact, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Peter connected with a guy named Cornelius. Well, when Peter did that, part of the reason he did was he had had, he was just taking a nap on a solid, you know, Jerusalem afternoon. And he had a dream that from heaven came this basically heavenly picnic of various meats. It was, it was a heavenly charcuterie board, right? That here comes from heaven. And Peter, being the good Jewish kid that he was, said, oh no, Lord, I see the ham and bacon on that. I can't have that. But the Lord keeps saying, no, take and eat. Take and eat, Peter. Now listen, if I'm waking up from that dream, there's only one thing I'm going Listen, the Lord said I could have bacon. I I don't know about the rest of you chumps, but this was direct connection through a dream. But what he's teaching him is to say, listen, you need to take the message to the Gentiles. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We see that Paul has dreams all over the place. We, in fact, see in other places in Scripture, it says as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your young people will dream dreams. Now, in our background here at Narrative, we we come from a heritage of being Lutherans. And Lutherans come from Germany, where we don't like feelings, right? And we don't like the unknown. We want, listen, Lord, here's the deal. We built the Mercedes, and just like the Mercedes or the BMW, if you can just fit everything into the metric system of how it is built, that would be great. So when we hear all over the place, the Lord said people will dream dreams and it will call them to what he has done, that can freak us out a little bit. Because we go, no, no, Lord, you told us that, you know, we just got to listen to the Bible. And what I want us to do is take a little bit, as we talk about the church at Philippi today, take a little bit of a step out of our comfortability and... Get a little charismatic. Not a lot charismatic, just a little bit. Because here's what I want us to look at. As we look at what's happening here, I want to start at the top that Paul has a dream, and that dream sends him to Philippi. 
So Paul is off on a missionary journey. So he's going all these different places. And actually in this book of Acts, he will say, hey, we really wanted to go here. But they have this dream that says, no, don't go there. Go to Macedonia instead. He wanted to go deeper into Asia. But instead, this messenger from God in his dream says, "Go, no, go to Macedonia. And so as we look at the church of Philippi and what happens here in our story, I want to start off by saying God's going to use supernatural means to engage us in his mission. And that can be scary. Because we've seen how people have abused that idea. We've seen how people have said, oh, I'm hearing from God. And we're like, oh, are you now? You're hearing from God? Well, let's talk about that. Let's look at this dream that Paul has. Paul has a dream, and it says, go to Macedonia. Okay, so how does Paul figure out I should go to Macedonia? Well, he takes the word of God. He knows what he's learned in the past as a follower of Jesus. And he says, well, is this something that matches up with what God would have me do? And goes, okay, yeah, that's where I'm supposed to go. That God will work through those kinds of things. Now, here's the thing. It's not always going to be a dream. It's not always going to be clear. But if there is a sense, if there is a longing, if there is something set on your heart, if you take and you look and say, I'm going to put that against Scripture, and as I read in Scripture, if that thing is true, well, maybe you should explore it more. What I'm not saying is if tonight you have a dream that says, i got to go to Connecticut tomorrow, like, no, like, spend time in it. Like, let it, let it you know, marinate a little bit. But know that the Lord is going to work through all possible means to have his mission done. And so sometimes it's going to be strange and weird, and sometimes it's not even going to be a dream. Sometimes it might just be, hey, here's this person over here. And they keep showing up in your life. And you're kind of like, Lord, could this person stop showing up in my life? I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend time with them. And they just keep being there. And you go, okay, Lord, I get it. Engage this person with your love. And so we see this first step of what Paul does in bringing a church to Philippi, so he listens to the Lord. He takes a dream, he measures it against what God has done, and he says, this is a good thing. This is where he's calling me. So let's look next at what happens. So let's, let's see what kind of is happening in and around. So here's the city of Philippi. So there it is. It's the red dot, so it's on uh, close to the coast there. But you see, present day, it's right between Greece and Turkey, and it sits right there. And in fact, you can see the old ruins here of the city. So old Philippi here, that would have been the city center. Now, Philippi has a fascinating history, because what happened is that outside of Philippi, there used to be large gold mines. And so... As Alexander the Great, and especially his father before him, sought to conquer the known world, they said, well, let's take this city first. 
because we can finance our war through these gold mines. So as any good king does, he took a city and named it after himself. So Philip, Alexander the Great's father, names this city Philippi because he can. So we get Philippi and it becomes this bustling city of trade because of all the gold going through it. Now, as Philip and then Alexander execute their conquests across the known world, right? So they start in Greece, they work their way down into Persia, down into the Holy Land, down even into Africa. We get what we call the Hellenization of the Mediterranean. So as they come through, what they do is they make everyone learn Greek. They go, listen, we've taken over. You're a Greek citizen now. you got to learn Greek. So as they move through, everyone's learning Greek, which is why when we translate the New Testament, we translate it not from Aramaic, which is what was spoken in Israel at the time. We translate it from Greek because people wrote and read Greek. Now, Philippi, over time, after the gold mines run dry and the wars are over, and then um, a little upstart nation on the Italian peninsula, may have heard of them, Rome, they come in, they take over. So now what you have is on the Roman peninsula, you have all these cities that are part of the Roman Empire. Well, then Rome starts pushing further and further out. Then there was this guy named Caesar. You might have heard of him. Dude named Brutus, right? E tu Brute. You too, Brutus. So Brutus, the man who seeks to overthrow Caesar, who stabs him in the back, is chased then by Octavian and Mark Anthony, that when there is this civil war in Rome, these factions are fighting each other. And the big battle that defeats Brutus and his crew against Octavian and Mark Anthony happens outside of Philippi. See, I was leading you there. So what happens is there's this great battle outside of what is now kind of a second-tier city. Trade has evaporated because of the gold mines, but this big battle happens there. Well, this then moves up Octavian to become Caesar Augustus of Christmas story fame. Like the Christmas story, not the movie Christmas story. And then Mark Anthony becomes one of the leading generals in Rome. Well, they have this great battle outside Philippi, and to commemorate themselves, as good rulers do, they don't rename it, but they decide they want to make it a great city. So they start settling their retiring commanders in Philippi. So as people leave the legion, they say, listen, why don't you go settle in Philippi? And so Philippi becomes a strategic colony of Rome that you start getting the roadways going through Philippi because they know they have all these people there who are loyal to them. And in fact, they grant Philippi the status of a Roman city. So Roman cities would have had greater tax benefits, greater citizenship benefits, those kind of things than colonial cities of Rome. So they grant that status to Philippi for the purpose of saying more people will live here if they have this status. And so when we see the author of Acts write and say 
that Philippi was the major city of Macedonia, that was a strategic and tactical plan that Mark Anthony and Caesar Augustus said, we want to establish this colony with our legions so that we have this outpost that we will count as a Roman city. So citizenship and patriotism was a big deal in Philippi. Hold on to that idea. So Paul and his crew are traveling up. They say, okay, we're supposed to go to Macedonia. Let's go there. So they're traveling up towards Macedonia. They get to the gates of Philippi, and they get there, and they go, okay, how do we do this? Because what they've done in the past is they come into a city, and they go to the synagogue. So they go to the synagogue because they know there they'll meet Jewish folks who they can connect to the Messiah. And they say, we'll start here and grow from there. Well, Philippi is a city now outside of Jewish influence in Israel and Judea, is in Macedonia, is solidly Greek first in terms of rulership, and now Roman. So this is a very Gentile place, so there is probably not a synagogue at this point in Philippi. So what they do is they find the major river, the water source that runs into Philippi, and they just go and sit there. Because they think, listen, we, we know that folks who follow God, if they don't have a synagogue, they come out, find a water source, and they pray together. So they go out and they sit there, waiting and hoping and praying that they'll find someone to connect with. And as they're sitting there talking and teaching, they see a group of women who have come out to pray. The leader of these women is a woman named Lydia. And they see her and they start talking with her. They share who Jesus is. And it says she's from Thyatira. So she's not originally Philippian. She now lives in Philippi, or at the very least has a home in Philippi for when she travels to, um, you know, sell her wares. But she comes up from Thyatira to Philippi, and it says she is a dealer of purple goods. And what we can translate that to is she is a woman of fashion, right? She is Gucci. So she has come up to sell these goods, but in her time while she's in the city, whether it was her permanent residence or where she came to sell from Thyatira, she has brought together this group of women who pray outside the city together. They follow God the best they can. And as Paul and his crew are sharing together the good news, as Lydia hears it, she says, hey, this is the message for me. Not only that does she say, this is the message for me, she says, keep teaching me, keep telling me more. And she keeps listening and paying attention to the point where she says, listen, I hear your message. I want me and my whole house to be baptized. And I'm sure Paul's like, great, we're by a river. We make this happen. So they're baptized, and then she prevails upon them and says, don't leave. Stay. Teach us what you know. And I love that our scripture reading 
ended with, and she prevailed upon us. That she didn't stop or slow down. She's like, no, I need you to stay. I need you to teach us what you know. I need you to walk alongside of us. And so Paul and his team of missionaries stay, and they teach, and they live with Lydia. And things aren't perfect. In this time, they will be arrested for rabble-rousing. They will be thrown in prison. But the interesting thing is, as they are thrown in prison, there's a chance for them to escape. The jailer is worried that they have, and they're like, no, 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 don't kill yourself. Like, we're still here. Like, the, the warden has thought they have escaped, thinks he's in trouble, thinks that, oh, no, my, you know, my life is over, and they go, no, no, we stayed here. So what happens to the warden? He and his entire household are baptized to the point where now Paul and his team have made good friends with people who have weight in Philippi that when the leaders of Philippi now who have thrown him first into prison and then are looking to say, okay, now we want to just ride them out of town, the people of Philippi stand up for Paul and say, no, we love this guy. And so actually you get this scene where the leaders of Philippi come like hat in hand and apologize to Paul. And then he goes on his way. And so we get this whole process where God uses a dream and then a city and a river and a woman to bring his church to Philippi. That how strange that it seems that God would use all these things to grow his church, but it is the way he works over and over and over again. So much so that as Paul then is imprisoned in Rome later in life, and he begins writing letters to all these churches that either he's had a part in starting or he himself has started, he always is writing going, you fools. Right, over and over, look at the letter to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Corinthians, and he's going, guys, what did we teach you? Get it together. And how's the letter to the Philippians go? Oh, church at Philippi, I love you guys. Now, they did just send him a bunch of money, right? But he writes to the church at Philippi, and like, you got to know the other churches are going, oh, Philippi, Paul's favorite church. Because the letter to the church at Philippi is constantly praising them and building them up and saying, thank you for the work that you've done. The church at Philippi ends up becoming one of the cornerstone churches in the early church. It becomes a book of the Bible for us. And in fact, as you look at the book of Philippians, you see Paul working in there the ideas of citizenship over and over. He knows his audience and reminds them over and over again, saying, listen, your citizenship is not here. Your citizenship is in heaven. The place you belong is not here. The place you belong is where God has called you to heaven. And so the joy that we find over and over and over again in these stories from the book of Acts, is how God works in his mission 
in ways that would surprise us, in ways that change us. And so the book of Philippians comes about because Paul has a dream and says, I should go to Macedonia. Paul has a dream and says, all right, Lord, I'm going to follow where you have called me. He goes to Philippi and knows things are going to be a little different because there's not going to be a synagogue for him to connect. So he shows up at a river, and there's Lydia leading a group in prayer. And he shares the gospel with them, and they say, we want that. And so he sticks around. He stays, and he says, this is the message for you. So much so that even as he's imprisoned and when he has a chance to escape, he stays so that he can share the good news of Jesus with his jailers. I don't know about all of you, but if I'm in prison and I know there's no hope for parole and the wall falls down, I go, this is an act of God, I'm out. And Paul stays to share who Jesus is with the people who have imprisoned him. So what does this, what does this story of Philippi, this city, have for us today? It's a chance for us to remember, first of all, that God is going to use supernatural means to engage us in his mission. Now, I want to remind you that while Scripture tells us of all the dreams that people have, tells us of the the possibility for people to be dreaming dreams of where God's going to take us, what we want to remember is all of that is normed by Scripture. So if you have a dream and it goes against Scripture, that's not of God. Real easy. But if God is putting something on your heart, it's showing up in your dreams, it's showing up different places you go, pay attention. Start praying, Lord, where, what are you doing with me? And I don't mind if you're a little bit annoyed. Go, Lord, Stop playing. Show me what you want. Because he will. But he's going to work to do that. The other thing we learn from this story is that the gospel is spread through the church of God. That when Paul shows up, what does he do? He meets people, he works with them, and he establishes a church. Last week with the youth group, we were hanging out, and our, our discussion, our study was on the church. And we talked about the original Greek, which was ekklesia, which is sent ones. And so the church at its central piece is just sent ones, people sent by God. And so as we look at it today, we can say narrative church is a church within the sent ones overarching church universal of God. We know that God works through local churches to spread the good news. We're not perfect at it, but we work to do more and more. And for that reason, we're part of a partnership that plants churches. I don't know if you all saw this weekend, but came out from the U.S. Census that the fastest growing small to medium-sized city in the United States of America is Georgetown, Texas. None of us are surprised that it would be something around here. But listen, when we do missions, when we seek to grow, we don't have to get on a plane. You can walk out your door 
because people are moving here. And here's the thing, it's not about us running out and screaming at people going, you got to love Jesus or else. It's about us showing up at places and being like, hey, this is who Jesus is. It's going to the river and looking for people. It's the places we would go sharing who Jesus is. It's not about trying to convert people and force them into things. It's about looking around us and saying, I see the Spirit working and I want to join Him. That in the places where you live, you work, and you hang out, God is already at work. And listen, we're, we're a small church, but you know what's our prayers? We, we already want to be looking to say, where are we going to plant another church? Even if it's just starting as a Bible study, right? People praying by the river. Where's the Lord calling us to be a part of his mission to the world? And finally for us, I think something we can learn from the church at Philippi is from the words of the book of Philippians. Right now the world seems to keep spiraling out of control. There's heartache after heartache after heartache. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the church and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Now, what's interesting is right after that, he says this, Let your reasonableness be known to all. And I love this translation because there's a couple different ways it can go. But let your reasonableness be known to all. Because it can also be translated as gentleness, loving kindness, the attributes of God, it's saying, let that be known to all people. Listen, in the midst of shootings, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of political strife, the calling of us as Christians is to always rejoice in the Lord. And listen, joy doesn't have to be like, hey, we're throwing a party, that's joy. Joy can exist in suffering and sorrow. Joy says, listen, I know that this world is broken and falling apart, but I don't find my hope in the world. I find my hope in who Jesus is. And so even in my sorrow, I can rejoice. And I can bring that joy to others. You see, because thousands of years ago, Jesus died on a cross for us and then said, Take this message out. So Paul took that very seriously. He took it to a church at Philippi. That church at Philippi took it out, and it kept going and going and going to the point where now, this week, I know in Uvalde, Texas, there was a group of people who, led by the joy of the Lord, showed up with golden retrievers, a bunch of dogs. But these are comfort dogs. They show up to give people going through trauma something of peace, something simple. The temptation could be for us to explain why do bad things happen. The temptation could be for us to try and bring in the purpose of tragedy. But I love this ministry that's a part of our church body because they show up with dogs, because dogs are silly and fun. But dogs are a place where you don't have to explain everything. You can just let people experience comfort and a little bit of joy. 
I read an article yesterday about this group because they've been doing this for something like 30 years now. And as soon as a tragedy happens, whether it be violence-related or natural disaster, there are people throughout our church body who host these dogs and they're on planes within 24 hours to go where they're needed. And the guy who runs it was quoted this week in a news article talking about what they do and why they do it. And he said, I was the handler of a dog in Newtown after the shooting there. And I watched as parents brought in their young son. And the dog I was with walked up to him because we were the closest and just let the boy crumble into him. And he said the boy just sat and petted the dog for a couple of minutes and then lifted up the ear of the dog to tell him what had happened. The parents broke down crying. And as they were leaving, the dad pulled aside this handler and said, thank you so much. He hasn't spoken for five days. Listen, the Lord's going to use foolish things. So a dog, a golden retriever. But the comfort of a dog can bring the joy of Christ. Because that dog, that silly, foolish piece of God's creation is connected to a human being who's standing there saying there's comfort in heartache. That even in the darkness of this world, there is light. And you see the church at Philippi, when Paul writes and says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say it, rejoice, he means it. That it's not a forced feeling, it's not that I have to be happy. It's about saying, in the midst of heartache, the Lord will break in. In the midst of a world that is full of sin and brokenness, the Lord will break in. And he will use silly dreams to send his people to a city in the middle of Greece, to a river, to a group of women praying, and he will establish an outpost of the kingdom there. And that is our joy and our hope. That as we look at the church of Philippi, we know that we can rejoice, even in our sorrow, even in our suffering, even in our unknown. Because the Lord will show up through His people over and over and over again. Let's pray. Lord, let us rejoice in you always. Let us listen for how you are at work. Let us bring to you over and again our struggles, our anxieties, our issues, to give them back to you. Let us learn what it means to rejoice. Lord, let us listen for the mission you are sending us on. Let us rejoice when we find the people that you've sent us to talk to. And Lord, in the midst of this present darkness, may we bring your joy. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen.